Walter Doppler, Tim Nebraska, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his weekly Monday appearance on a Monday. This is a weekly Monday appearance. It just occurred, in this case, on a Monday. It's the managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is guest on this edition of the program, as he does every week. Dave Cameron endeavors here to analyze all baseball of particular note this week. We find Dave Cameron recovering from surgery to repair his interior cruciate ligament. An ACL he injured during a pickup basketball game or some sort of men's league basketball game in his current hometown of Bend, Oregon. We turn these figurative lemons into lemonade by using Dave Cameron's injury and subsequent recovery uh, as an entree into a conversation, a larger conversation about the disabled list. For example, we know that the 15-day DL was replaced by the 10-day variety this past off season. Did you know, however, and I didn't know this until minutes before recording this week's program, however, did you know the DL has existed in some form or another since 1915. And in fact, the 10-day DL preceded the 15-day variety. Those are facts. Hard facts. I asked Cameron how, if pressed to construct a DL system from whole cloth, how we do it. And of course, he holds forth. He pontificates. This is a skill that comes naturally to Dave Cameron. Also, we look at how certain teams have responded to the rule change. For example, the Dodgers represent a club that has used the 10-day DL to their advantage. The Mets, less so. Furthermore, is this what's best for the players? These are all considerations uh, that I probably ask Dave Cameron to consider. Considerations to consider. Finally, Cameron makes a comment uh, during during our recording that sheds some light on his contributions to Fangraphs, not just recently, but forever. I'm on drugs, so I don't know. That sordid admission and others like it and what's to follow. Uh, what is occurring right now is a message about Fangraphs memberships. Are you familiar with Fangraphs memberships? They do exist is what I would like to say, and for a reasonable sum, listeners of Fangraphs Audio and readers of Fangraphs.com can acquire a Fangraphs membership and support the great work that occurs at Fangraphs.com, if not necessarily this program. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, readers can acquire what is known as an ad-free membership, allowing them to browse the electronic pages of Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, without the distortive effects of banner ads, and also... Uh, I will say positively, it will facilitate faster loading speeds at Fangraphs.com. I have this. I know this for a fact. This is another example of a hard, hard fact. Okay, let's end that. Anyway, let's end that all, and we'll move on to the program. But as it is Fangraphs Audio, who does the feature managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron? And when does it begin? Right now. So about a month ago, I was playing basketball, and I got ran over while my left leg was planted in the ground, and so I had an MRI, and that revealed a uh, fully torn anterior cruciate ligament, the ACL, which is a pretty common baseball injury, and then a ripped up meniscus on both sides. So I had surgery on Thursday, basically drilled into my bone, they took some part of my hamstring from my knee, which I didn't know my hamstring went to my knee, but apparently it does. And they uh, reattached it in order to give me an ACL. And they tried to fix my meniscus as best they could. And, uh, yeah, they basically told me I can't walk for a month. Yeah. And so what, does this mean that your wife is 
what, to what degree can you parent now? Besides just shouting from a from a chair. Yeah. So that we, I had the surgery Thursday. She took Thursday and Friday off, and then obviously we had the weekend. So we've had four days now of me basically being um, not entirely immobile. I have crutches, so I can go from the bed to the couch essentially, uh-huh. uh, but I can't do a lot more than that. Um, so she's doing all the parenting, and she's taking care of me and taking care of the dog. I wouldn't say this was one of her top five weekends ever. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah, my parenting was basically limited to, hey, Drew, do you want to watch cartoons? Kids often say yes to that. He he does like his cartoons. Yeah, okay. All right. I learned a little bit. Uh, we have some friends visiting. I learned a little bit about Daniel Tiger's play. Neighborhood, yeah. Daniel. Yeah. We, Is that a we, favorite? We like Daniel Tiger. It's not a favorite, but it's it's in the rotation occasionally. Okay. Yeah. The uh, current favorite is Tom the Tow Truck. Okay. Is he related to a tank engine as well? No, no. These are actually, uh, they're actually on Amazon. If you're a Prime member, not that we're trying to like sell Prime memberships, but they're free. They have like three seasons of them, so there's like 30 of these things. And they're actually kind of great because they're like five or six minutes each. So you can give him a large quantity of cartoons. Like he gets very excited about watching three cartoons and it's 15 minutes total, right? So it's like not, you're not sitting in front of the TV for hours on end, but he thinks, I get three cartoons. This is great. Right. Um, So basically you're capitalizing off of your child's missing his his misconception of of how things are going anytime you can use ignorance against a toddler you have to do it yeah yeah no i think it's put that on your gravestone and yeah. that's that's gonna stay <laughs> stick around uh well dave Cameron, i knew that you were i knew that you were entering uh this particular edition of uh fangraph studio on your own type of disabled list yeah uh so i thought that i would begin by asking you questions about the disabled list okay uh, well, first of all, I remember reading somewhat recently by one of our authors, perhaps Craig Edwards. I'm going to say Craig Edwards, and we'll see if it was Craig Edwards, about the degree to which uh, the Dodgers were using the disabled list to their advantage. Frequently. And this is Right. And this is an appropriate topic of conversation for today because you recently wrote – well, very recently uh, today – you wrote about uh, – the essentially the juggernaut that the Dodgers have become, and I think you, uh, you I mean, you, you mentioned a number of factors, but I don't think that I think certainly the depth of the team is is something you cited, if not the the disabled list usage specifically. Uh, but this seems to be, it, it, is this still occurring since maybe it was Craig Edwards who wrote that piece? Yeah, I mean, so the Dodgers have basically, uh, with the new 10 day disabled list, have figured out that you don't really need a five man rotation in baseball anymore because now with the 10 day DL, you can disable a guy and he can miss one start. So you can effectively have a six or seven man rotation. So, uh, basically every starter in the rotation has been disabled for some, um, uh, less than above board reason. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I think Alex Wood, Ken Tomeda, uh, Julio Urias obviously turned out to actually be hurt. Um, Hinjin Ryu, they've all basically had like, oh yeah, you're gonna miss a start with, you know, your arm sore. Because there's nothing you can do. Like, all, every pitcher's arm is sore. You can't say that their arm isn't sore. So they're not really cheating in a sense. They're just using this able list to its maximum advantage and, and rotating their pitchers through. And I would imagine by the end of the year, They'll have, uh, you know, probably 10 or 12 guys who threw 30 or 40 innings in the rotation, and they'll maybe only have one guy who threw 200. Like, the the idea of having four or five workhorses who all threw 200 innings, um, the Dodgers have moved away from that very aggressively, and I think that day and age is probably over. Okay, so they moved away from it, and with, uh, with some reason, I guess, right? Now, are they looking, essentially, when they're putting um, some of their, you know, kind of more brand name starters... Uh, like you mentioned Maeda, you mentioned Ryu. 
when they're putting them on the disabled list, are they doing it to essentially rest those pitchers, or are they doing it? What is the what is the intent, I guess, and how is it an advantage? So they're keeping everyone's workloads down, uh, but this also allows them to retain a larger number of starting pitchers without any of them getting angry that they're you know being languished in the bullpen. So a few years ago, I think three or four years ago, the Dodgers had this problem where in spring training they had like eight quality starters, and like what do we do with all these guys? And a bunch of guys were like, well, we're not going to the bullpen. We don't, you know, we we're making real money. We're starting pitchers, and you have to trade one of us or whatever. And so they had to like basically deplete their surplus during spring training because the guys weren't going to be happy in a bullpen role and they couldn't send them to the minor leagues because they were veterans. Um, and then come midsummer, a couple guys got hurt and they had to go trade for a pitcher again even after they had a surplus a few months earlier. So by essentially manipulating the DL, they can keep McCarthy and Ryu and Meta and all these guys happy enough. They're getting starts. They're getting innings. They might not be getting a full regular starters workload, but they're getting enough to not you know, rock the boat essentially. Um, so this way they can keep six, seven, eight, nine starters in the organization and say, you know, you're all starting. You're just not starting every fifth day. And it has to be easier to sell if you're if you're winning, right? Yeah. For, for uh, I don't think there's any question. Like, it, if the you know if the Dodgers were the Giants, uh, then there would be a lot of people freaking out over how this experiment's failing. And uh, I think Ken Rosenthal wrote this morning about um, the Giants clubhouse and how different it is. And like, you know. When you're losing, people really start looking for answers of why you're losing. And there was like one really great paragraph in there where he talked about, um, you know, the, the clubhouse is just really different. And one of the factors they're missing is uh, they don't have Angel Pagan anymore, who I believe I'm directly quoting the piece here, unified the team because everyone hated him. <laughs> so, they, this is actually lauded like a clubhouse cancer has turned into a positive thing because it turns everyone against him. Uh, these are the kinds of stories that get written when you're bad and when you're. Wait, when what's you're, that? What sort of bias is that? Uh, what sort of bias is that called? <laughs> when you start with the conclusion essentially and work backwards. Uh, yeah, good well, question. I'm on drugs, so I don't know. All right. So, um, and also you're injured as well. The uh, no, the the confirmation. Well, there's some sort of confirmation bias, right? Is yeah. that the the team? You say the clubhouse is different, and if we don't acknowledge wins, we have to look for an answer somewhere. What's different? The difference is Hanil Bagan is not there. Yeah, and we all hated him well enough to get along with each other, and that was really the unifying force of our team. It was really one of my favorite paragraphs I've ever read. That is a uh, but. Well, say the Giants say that had been their plan all along to get one contemptible player on the on the club. That would be a that would be a, uh, a very progressive. Yeah. Move. Why does Carl Everett keep getting employed? Well, it turns out that you need twenty four <laughs> good people and one supervillain. No, it'd be it's funny because it's you know there always used to be. I think I remember growing up and there was this. There's always this phrase used about uh, certain versions of the Red Sox in the late '80s, early '90s that they it was twenty five players, twenty five cabs, essentially you know yeah. like from the airport to yeah. you know when they get a. But even in. in you're suggesting here you could have 25 players, two caps. <laughs> right, yeah. One of them has 24 people in it, and the other one is the guy. Angel Pagan, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of them would be like a clown car cab. It right. could be a bus. It could be a bus is what it could be. Um, <clears throat> right. So that so that's likely that's not – so I, right. So winning obviously has something to do with it. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder – and this is all sort of nebulous territory, but um, perhaps you have – some sort of insight into it. Travis Sotrick wrote a pretty great post for the site today, uh, using uh, well, using as a starting off point uh, Chicago Cubs manager Joe Madden's appearance uh, at the at the large oak table of Charlie Rose. Yeah, 
um, a conversation which Sachik himself, uh, uh, upon which he followed up with uh, with the Cubs manager uh, to get a sense. And and uh, Sachik, you know, noted that you know part of what's sort of remarkable Madden, and again, uh, if because he's one, uh, then it's uh, obviously there's um, people will hasten, probably rightly so, to to um, regard these ideas as as, as progressive and, and important. Um, but is essentially s- uh, de- uh, developing relationships before trying to disseminate ideas, right? Like he, he he regards it as very important to essentially establish a level of trust, uh, both I mean with front office, with fellow coaches and players, and then uh, essentially ha- to use a sort of uh, a, a collaborative process to to reach certain conclusions. Um, do you, do you have a sense that I don't know how universal that is? And again, maybe we just point it, pick out Joe Madden because his team won last year. But d- do you know if like Dave Roberts or and Andrew Friedman, et cetera, if they have this idea for if they're particularly well known for disseminating ideas like that? Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the main character traits or personality traits being looked at in managers is how well they can relate to players. Um, and get them to buy into non-traditional ideas. And so I think this is one of the things that Roberts and Madden and Terry Francona and a few others are, are especially well known for is that they can go to, you know, Brandon McCarthy, who's, you know, whatever, 10 year, 12 year veteran in the major leagues and say, Hey, you're not hurt. We're going to tell everyone you're hurt. You're going to go home and you're going to not pitch today, even though you feel good and you're probably in a routine and you'd like to pitch today. And we would like you to not be upset about that. And like, it's impossible to have zero anger about it, but to kind of contain that within the team and have him say, okay, I see what the plan is. I buy into the greater, the greater good. Hopefully this keeps me healthy in October and then we all win the World Series. I'm in. That skill, I think, is being pretty highly valued and, and Roberts is one of the guys who's considered to be, um, well suited to communicating to younger players, uh, you know, or to players in general, because he's you know, closer to their age. He's not, you know, there's not a huge generation gap here where he can say, "Hey, look, you know, this is weird. We know you're not hurt. You know you're not hurt. Just go with it, and it'll all work out in the end." Mm-hmm. Right. But having some sort of, and I guess he has to have, essentially, he has to sense, or he has to have some level of trust and understanding with the front office too, right? Because presumably, this is something upon which the front office itself. Uh, you know, by way of some sort of research has landed by saying having a bunch of good starters and being able to rest them to some degree during the course of the regular season ultimately leads to a winning ball club. Yeah, I mean, I think this is just kind of one of those things that if you look at it and you say, okay, most teams can't make it through 162 games with five starting pitchers or even six or seven. You generally need between like eight and ten starters to get through a season. Um, and it's difficult to have enough young major league ready optionable guys to just stash them in AAA and have them, you know, hanging out waiting to make starts when guys get hurt. Uh, you can do that, but it's not easy. You have to develop a lot of young pitching talent all at once and have all those guys stay healthy and not have to worry about inning limits. And so that's like a challenging thing. So if you need, you know, more than five veterans, and there's only five spots to start them. You can basically talk to the guys heading into the winter and say, look, here's the plan. We need all eight of you guys. We don't need all eight of you at the same time. So, Scott Casimir, you're going to go hang out and extend the spring training for the first half of the year, and we'll see you in August. And, like, explain to them how none of them are necessarily capable. You don't necessarily want to use that word, but say, look, it's unrealistic to think that we can get through the full season with just five of you. We need all eight of you, but we don't know when we're going to need to sub some in and sub some out. So we have to figure out a strategy for 
um, keeping you all around and keeping you all available, um, and the easiest way to do that is the disabled list. Now, uh, the I don't know what the I don't, do you know the exact numbers or round round numbers is in terms of uh, uh, player uh, DL stints this year that that may be a post. At one point, Craig had written about it, or maybe it was Eno, or maybe I think I think what DL stints are up like thirty percent or something. Are they? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think Nick Stellini addressed nearly an opposite point this year with uh, well, he was writing with regard to the Mets. We we're just discussing the Dodgers who have adapted very quickly to the yeah. new rules, right? right? And have essentially used it to park a guy to let him have a, you know, to give him some rest in between starts. Yeah. Uh, whereas the Mets at times have played with like an incredibly short bench to, right. while um, keeping um, injured players on the roster. Yeah. The Mets they, have they been the most flagrant example or are they just, are they just, are just notable because... Well, they've the probably also had the most injuries so it's right. easy to pick on them because I mean, there's a narrative about like LOL Mets that goes around on Twitter anyway so it's like this is already a thing that people believe and then they've mm-hmm. been like you know, every player on their team has gotten hurt and it's hard to DL everybody at the same time. You don't have enough guys in the organization to replace everyone. Uh, but they have probably responded the poorest to the new incentives mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of like, oh yeah, if we can DL a guy that who isn't going to play for three or four days, so fine, we lose him for five or six, but we get another guy for ten. This guy doesn't have to be as good. So, you know, the quantity of the ten games of a healthy player will outweigh the marginal difference of having a better player for five or six. They haven't made that leap yet. And then, of course, there are some situations where. Well, no. Here, let me do this first. I wanted to. I wanted to ask you in a moment uh, what if you were going to conceive from whole cloth the ideal DL structure for the major leagues. How you would go about doing that? Uh, but first, I wanted to just to um, provide you with some of the history of the disabled list. Uh, a few years ago for Baseball Prospectus, Corey Dawkins and Rebecca Glass co-authored a piece, just a brief piece on the on the uh, the history of the disabled list. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the history, but I will tell you uh, that it began in 1915. Uh, it was there was a rule that allowed players to be removed from the roster for a 10-day recuperation period. That was the first uh, that was the first example of it, but it only lasted for a couple of years, and then there was basically nothing. Uh, specific. There's no sort of real disabled list between up from between 1917 and 1941. And uh, here's how they would deal with it. I quote: Injured players were sent home to recuperate and then expected to report back when healthy. <laughs> that was the entire plan. Bye. But um, have you like? I remember going through you know like old game recaps from this from um, you know early baseball and the descriptions of the injuries are are uh, well. I mean the they're haunting and amusing, but it's because there's always players with like a wrenched back. That was like a real injury. Was that a player had wrenched his back? Was that where he like got hit in the back with a wrench? No, I think that just he had hurt it, and this severity unknown essentially was the <laughs> was the diagnosis. Uh, at some point, let's see, uh, there was more, but there were also limits. At some point, let's see when when the disabled list was reintroduced in '41. Only two players could be on it at, the, at any time. And they had to spend at least 60 days on the disabled list. So they had to be, like, broken people. At some point, uh, there, there, were, there were disabled lists of 10, 15, 21, 30, and 60 days. Sometimes, like, it points v- between uh, 1950 and 1984, or maybe 1990. In 1990, so in 1984, the 10-day disabled list was dropped, 
1990, the 21-day disabled list was dropped, and then the 60-day disabled list was added back in its place. Um, and that's roughly the history. But there have been all there have been all different structures, and there, as I said, there have also been limits to how many players uh, could be put onto the disabled list at the time. Right. Um, and of course, at certain points, there have, there's been nothing like a disabled list, um, which w- it would be interesting to see how that would work in the in the years of uh, guaranteed contracts, et cetera. So, my question, for which you are t- entirely unprepared, except for whatever information you had entering this recording of the program, is if you're going to create from whole cloth a disabled list structure, how would you do it? Well, I'm actually in, in favor of the bandied around kind of, uh, taxi squad idea that's been kicked around the last couple of years of basically saying like, we don't need to fake injuries, right? Like everyone knows what's going on. The league knows, the teams knows, the players knows. Let's just admit like, guys need rest days, right? Like this is going to become a bigger thing in baseball going forward is like, very few guys or almost no one is going to play 162 games a year there's going to be times when the team just wants to be like hey chris bryant just don't come to the ballpark today you're just you're not you're not playing today we're not going to use you we just want you to like sit home and watch veggie tales and like you know relax we'll see you tomorrow um but with a 25 man roster like you don't know if you're going to play a 17 inning game uh you don't know if you're going to you know even if you're planning on giving him a day off maybe the starter is going to get hurt so you don't really have that option so the guy even on his off day comes to the ballpark 5 hours early and takes bp it doesn't really get a traditional rest day if you had some kind of basically like short term one day two day whatever uh deactivated list where you just be like look we're just giving this guy a break we're just gonna, it's a tuesday we played 15 games in a row we've traveled a bunch we've crossed time zones we're just gonna tell this guy to stay at the hotel <clears throat> i think that's probably where where the league is headed and i think it's probably a better system overall so instead of having like fake injuries where you lose a guy for a week because the team just wants to give him a, a break which they're doing more with pitchers now than hitters but eventually i think they'll do with hitters too um I would say create a very short-term, essentially taxi squad, where you have uh, players who travel with the team who aren't on the active roster that day, and uh, you allow, whether it's per day or per series or something, some activation so that guys can get short-term breaks. They don't have to be on the roster. They don't have to come to the ballpark. um, And you can essentially uh, reduce the wear and tear on these players uh, who are, you know, competing at high athletic levels for six months with all the travel. Like, I know it's easy to say, like, ah, they play a sport for a living or they play a game for a living. What they do is really hard, and most people can't do it six months in a year and then also be available in October. Right, yeah. And and, um, I suppose whether the fact, right, they're playing a game or not, uh, the fact is that uh, there's a lot of re- repetitive motion, and obviously, you know, there are, there are players going on disabled list with real injuries, and you can right. see players get actually injured. So, right. therefore, it just exists. There's no there's no matter of toughness or not, right? Yeah. Um, so, precisely, how would it work, or or what what's I mean, maybe not precisely, but what's like one version that you think would work? So, I mean, I think I think if you have like some kind of like three man taxi squad that maybe maybe you do it per series instead of per day, so and you put limitations so the teams just can't have like a thirteen man bullpen or something. But you basically say like, look, you know, this is going to give you a third catcher and an extra infielder and an extra outfielder or whatever it may be, and uh, you can use these guys. They can travel with the team. You can activate them for one or two or three games or whatever whatever the exact setup is. Um, and then this is your way of resting players who aren't injured. Do that instead of 
making up disable those trips. And then maybe you, at that point you say, okay, well, we don't need a 10 day disable this. Maybe we go to a 15 day or whatever the, the right number is because you're creating some other rest mechanism for players who just need a few days off who might have a, you know, maybe they pull their hamstring a little bit and they, you don't want them to play the next day, but you know, they're going to be fine in a couple of days and you don't necessarily want to burn to disable this trip. If you had this taxi squad idea, I wouldn't think you would need the shorter DL. So you could potentially go back to a 15-day DL, which would reduce some of the manipulation of rotations and what the Dodgers are doing now in terms of having an eight-man rotation. Um, so I would say, you know, maybe you create like a three-man taxi squad. So you essentially have 28 traveling players with you, 25 are active for each game. Um, and then you have, you know, the 15-day DL and the 60-day DL kind of unchanged from what they are now. So you mentioned the, like a catcher and infielder and outfielder. Would would it be exclusively for position players? Well, I think the downside of creating this taxi squad is, you know, the temptation for the teams would just be to load up with three more pitchers and be like, okay, well, these guys threw 40 pitches yesterday. They're deactive because I'm not going to pitch them today. And then every team has, a you know, eight fresh arms in the bullpen every day. And then we're getting starters only going three or four innings and having even more pitching changes. And I don't think that's necessarily where the game wants to go. So in creating this taxi squad idea, I think you'd probably be looking at it more for the benefit of the position players who, mm. um, you know, right now there's no easy mechanism for them to just miss one start, uh, like a starting pitcher. Um, so I would say you would probably want to put some restrictions in, maybe you allow one pitcher um, in the taxi squad. But you would, you'd want to set it up in some way to where teams aren't just loading it up with three more specialist relievers and then, you know, at that point, abandoning starting pitching entirely. Now, do you have a sense, like in terms of the type of player that would go on it, is this kind of like a like a like a quad A type or an older type of player who doesn't necessarily need to play every day, but is you know satisfactory when he when he is playing? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably what you're looking at. It's like uh, a, you know a utility infielder, you know. Uh, Brendan Ryan kind of guy who you're like, okay, this guy can cover a bunch of positions. So if anyone gets hurt, he's the guy I activate. I'm not thrilled to like put him in my lineup, but at least if he's on my bench, I'm not really sad about it. It gives me some flexibility in terms of like if I want to rest Rizzo or Bryant or Schwarber or any of these guys, I've got the flexibility to do so. So it's probably going to be a multi-position player. Um, it's not going to be your top prospect because you want him playing every day. Um, so yeah, I mean, it basically creates a few extra major league jobs for the Kennedys, like, you know, hang on utility types, the Chris Coglins of the world who have some value, but, you know, aren't necessarily surefire everyday major leaguers. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, that sounds fair. I'm trying to figure out what do you think? Well, we talked about one way it could be exploited, um, would be to use to fill it with pitchers, but if there was some restriction on number of pitchers, it, off the top of your head, do you think of any ways it could be exploited? Um, I mean, obviously, with any kind of um, new rule, teams are always going to be like, "Oh, how do we how do we game this the best we can in order to get the most value?" And um, I think you would certainly have teams looking for ways to, you know, either stash extra players or or use it in some way it wasn't designed for. Um, but I think that's just to be expected, right? And if you create the rule as, you know, kind of intention, intended to give um, extra major league spots to guys who might not be major league players, the players station would probably be okay with it because now you get more major league jobs and higher paying, uh, you know, bench roles essentially instead of these guys on split contracts who are hanging out in AAA and, uh, and have to be called up on flights and, you know, all the logistical hassle that that goes along with. Um, and then the teams would probably say, oh, neat, I get to, you know, um, once a week I get to tell, you know, my 38-year-old DH that he gets a day off and I don't have to worry about if we play a 17-inning game that he has to come to the ballpark. Um, you know, that's better for his rest anyway. So I think uh, you'd see teams trying to game the system, uh, but at least the intention for it would be 
mostly positive, and I think teams would would generally use it uh, in the the spirit it was intended. And how and how is the we talked about some ways that the 10-day has been gamed. I mean, in a sense, uh, you know, obviously you have a situation with the Dodgers here. Is it also? Do you think it is also ultimately beneficial to the players? Yeah, but I wouldn't say that the 10-day deal has been gamed. I think this is like um, this was the replacement for the optioning, right? So like this was already happening. The Dodgers were already doing this, uh, you know, where they would sign Mike Bolsinger as like a veteran free agent who just happened to have options, and right. they would like Mike Bolsinger would make a start and he would throw seven shutout innings, and then after the game they would send him to AAA because <laughs> because they wanted to have multiple. They this was like they had decided we aren't just going to have five starting pitchers. We're not willing to accept that that's uh, a limit that we're going to put on ourselves. So that previously the only way to kind of shuffle pitchers around like this was to send them to AAA. And so you'd have, you know, guys pitching really well, Julio Urias pitching really well, ah, back to AAA you go, you have options. And that was probably worse for the game. So I think part of the push for the 10 days disabled list was like, look, if you're going to do this, we can't stop you from doing it with optionable guys. Let's just give you a better outlet, right, where you can, like, put them on a DL. It's basically a rest DL. Everyone knows what's going on. At least that way, they're still in the major leagues. They're not going to take up a minor league roster spot. You don't have to worry about the split contract. You don't actually have to fly them to Oklahoma City, like, um, you know, this is a a less um, complicated way of just giving you the pitching depth that you're already finding. You know, you mentioned uh, a, bit, a little bit ago the the idea of stashing players yeah. um, here there. One player, this is a, a brief aside, um, but I, you're probably familiar with one of the players uh, at Rule 5 selection who's been stashed on the Padres this year, uh, Alan Cordoba. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that name? Yeah. Do you, you're probably also familiar with the fact that the highest level of ball he played before this year was rookie level. Yeah. And he's passed the entire season thus far at the major leagues. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know how bad you would necessarily expect such a player to be, but I have to think that whatever he's done thus far is better than what you would expect. Yeah, right. He's, he's already exceeded expectations. <laughs> he's. I mean, again, I don't necessarily know what the what you would say the baseline is. But he's hitting 250, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, he's only struck out in 20% of his plate appearances. That seems really good to me. If I mean, if you just took a random guy out of rookie-level baseball, yeah. he wouldn't do that, would he? I don't think so. I think this has been a, a surprisingly exceptional performance. Yeah, all right. Well, that's all I wanted to say. I just wanted to give a bit of credit to Alan Cordoba, which his his just his presence alone in the majors has to somewhat – Illustrate the absurdities of the Rule Five Draft, right? Um, or, or the some of the rules that are attached to it, or is it the absurdity of how the Padres have decided to use it? Yeah, I mean, I would, I wouldn't say absurdity. I mean, like the Padres are not winning, right? They're not trying to win. They're under right. no illusions of trying to win. So, from their perspective, AJ Peller just looked at it and said, "Like, why should I take some low upside twenty-seven-year-old? I'm going to take this guy who might be something in five years, and if he costs us an extra win this year, who cares?" Right. Well, I think he might cost them an extra win this year. Yeah. Uh, but I guess it won't matter. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Oh, yeah. One other uh, quali- aspect of this that you cited was the um, uh, the somewhat absurd. Let's see. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, so occasionally, the the absurd explanations that are given for players who are sent to the disabled list. Yeah. Pablo Sandoval think- was just put on the DL the other day with the flu. Right. Okay. So I think that's one of the ones you cited recently, and I think that actually has been narrowed. To an inner ear infection, right? That, his particular disabled yeah. stint. Um, but it, I guess Sandoval is interesting. So what? So what? Now you say it's it seems suspicious. What do you think is actually occurring? Well, the, I think 
I, th- I mean, based on media reports, there's some kind of power struggle in Boston between Dave Dombrowski, who wants to continue to give Sandoval playing time and believes that he can help the team and isn't ready yet to promote Raphael Devers from AA um, and hasn't yet made a trade for someone better. So he's basically telling John Farrell, like, this is your third baseman. This is the one you have. Play him. And John Farrell looks at this guy and says, well, I can't play him against left-handed pitching, and I can't play him when we're starting a left-handed pitcher because his defense is so bad. Our rotation is 80% left-handed pitchers. I have to pinch hit for him uh, regularly, and I have to replace him in the field. I can't use this guy. <laughs> like, this is not a major league player if you have to be platooned both when your team and the other team starts left-handed pitchers and also has to be a defensive <laughs> replacement and has to be pinch hit for him. Like, at that point, you're not a major league player. And so I think Farrell's basically just like, get this guy off my roster. Dabrowski is not yet ready to cut him uh, or to give up on him. Uh, and so they basically told Sandoval, uh, hey, you're not feeling well. We're going to go on the DL probably until we trade for someone else or promote Devers. And at that point, we're going to cut you. Well, actually, this isn't a. Uh, uh, it's 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 um, of some benefit that I just invoked Alan Cordoba, a player who <laughs> who's 21 and uh, before this season played uh, in the rookie level league. Pablo Sandoval uh, has actually had, in fewer plate appearances, has recorded just as poor wins above replacement mark. They're both they're both <laughs> a negative half a win. Yeah, um, he's. Um, he's struck out more often than Cordoba has. He has a worse uh, WRC plus than Cordoba does. So I, again, like in terms of baselines, like I guess I suppose any player on your team who's performing less well than Alan Cordoba um, is someone who is going to be difficult to to uh, deploy in your starting lineup if you're a team that has designs on contention. So you're suggesting we replace the Mendoza line with the Cordoba line. Yeah, but it wouldn't be an insult. That's the thing, because I, I, I feel like with is it Mario Mendoza? Was he the player yeah. in question? Yeah. I feel that's a bit of an insult, right? Like you have to be better than this guy. Like you, like Alan Cordoba is doing a really good job relative right. to the constraints. Yeah. If you're not better than a guy who spent last year in rookie ball, wh- yeah. what the hell? What the what the hell is going on? Um, can, can I ask you briefly, and it, it, for you to give using using with generosity being as generous as possible what has happened to Pablo Sandoval he was never he was probably always more popular than his actual talent would have suggested just because of his uh maybe playful attitude and playful physique as well <laughs> uh but he was he was legitimately good for a while he was a solid above average major league player yeah, yeah right and that's and that's fine and he was that through age 27 really yeah and since age 27, or you know, 28, 29, and now he's in his age 30 season, he's been he's been quite poor. Yeah. Um, and I guess I guess I'm curious as to as to what happened, whether it was inevitable or if maybe already knowing that uh, you know his conditioning perhaps was not amazing. If that's just an easy explanation to give. I mean, it's the easiest one, right? Like in the history of baseball, no players who look like Pablo Sandoval have aged well. <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, we talked about this with Prince Fielder, we talked about this with Ryan Howard. Like all of these, like just really large human beings who carry significant weight for their size. And Sandoval's, you know, not three hundred pounds, but he's also like five ten. So his BMI is like, you know, if you just looked at like the the amount of weight he's carrying on his frame, this wasn't going to work long term. And um, this is one of the reasons why the Giants didn't want to bring him back, even though he'd been a good player for them. And he'd been popular in the clubhouse. And, you know, they had a lot of reasons to want to resign him. And they said, nope, we're not going to pay you to expect to be healthy. Uh, and I think it's it's pretty clear that Sandoval's body has just broken down. So um, I think the Red Sox were hoping that, you know, 
he would be able to uh, stay healthier than he has and maybe use the, the green monster to get some extra value because he gets a lot of fly balls to left field. That didn't work out. And then, you know, he got injured. He had a shoulder problem. He had knee problems. He's just, I think his body is just betraying him to the point where he's probably no longer capable of being a major league athlete. He... Well, I, you you brought up Fielder, and that's I think that's reasonable. Fielder was really good until, I guess, until he wasn't pretty yeah. immediately, right? right. Yeah. Um, he I think he had one tough season when he first moved to Texas, and then he had a bit of a rebound year, in which he was worth a couple wins. I, d- I think he didn't exhibit the same kind of power as he had previously, right? But he was still m- was making a lot of like an absurd amount of contact, especially yeah. to his approach. And then last year, he just gave out, and I guess he had. I mean, I mean, obviously, not just career-threatening, career-ending neck injury. Yeah. I mean, I think we, 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 if you look at a lot of these guys who have been really good and then really terrible, it seems like conditioning is, like, maybe an under, underrated factor. It's like mm-hmm. Andrew Jones. Like, he was, you know, one of the best athletes of his generation. It was, like, a fantastic player through age 28. And then he just, like, started gaining weight and got bad in a hurry. And it's not like, oh, well, yeah, you add some 10 pounds and your range declines. It's like you lose flexibility and everything goes away. And Matt Kemp, historic, you know, was a 40-40 guy, and then he added a bunch of weight and became a replacement level player. And like, there's a decent amount of examples of, you know, guys who, uh, it's probably not just like a linear, like for every pound you lose one point of WRC plus. It's like at some point there's, you lose such, um, conditioning, such uh, flexibility that your body just stops being able to do the things you were able to do previously. And if you don't kind of maintain, you know, something close to your pre uh, obesity physique, you're gonna get you're gonna lose all almost all of your value. Yeah, I guess that's right. It it's it's hard to account for all the potential uh, risks, I guess, of of the gained weight, right? Yeah. But you know that it's not it's probably not good. Yeah, and it's not just the weight, right? Like, it's not just, like, every big player is bad. Like, David Ortiz is a big guy, but there's a athletic big guy, right? Like, there's a difference between, like, I'm carrying an extra 20 pounds, but I still do my stretching, and I still stay in shape, and I'm still, you know, keeping my body. Like, maybe I'm too heavy, but I'm at least, like, you know, early career Pablo Sandoval was, like, fairly athletic for being fat. Right, right. Um, and I think that, you know, it's probably fairly safe to say now that Pablo Sandoval is not as athletic as he was five years ago. Now, Dave Cameron, you you of course you injured your ACL. Do you feel like do you feel like maybe uh, you know fatherhood fatherhood related weight gain was responsible for it? Uh, no. Or was it the fact that you were mowed over by a dude? Yeah, that was really just I was, I was uh, <laughs> I had an acute injury. I will say, uh, you know, I'm not I'm definitely not one to criticize anyone else's athleticism. As I struggle <laughs> to go from a chair to a couch. Uh, yeah. And you know, staying in shape is when you get older is hard. Right. So, but we did bring up Sandoval because it, uh, the way it, it sort of fit into the conversation about disabled is, whereas at a certain point, there maybe teams have to resort to sort of uh, slightly unbelievable or incredible um, injury reasons, I guess, for for guys to be disabled. But yeah. I mean, what would be the solution if there was a if there was a type of I mean, it, whether it's a taxi squad or something else where it's like reserved specifically for guys on whom the front office and and coaches can't agree. I mean, I don't like the taxi squad wouldn't be the right solution for that because, like, after two days, Sandoval will be like, "I'm ready to play," and Farrell will be like, "I still don't want to play you. I still want yeah. you to go away." I think in this case, like, this is just a 
a scenario where the manager and the GM are not on the same page. And it's probably just going to take, like, at, so, at some point before July 31st, either Dombrowski's going to trade for someone or they're going to promote Devers from AA where he's crushing the ball. And they're going to have an alternative. And, like, they're not just going to be like, well, I don't have a third baseman anymore, uh, so I have to play Sandoval. Like, there's going to be an alternative. And at that point, Sandoval has no roster on this, no, no job yeah, on the team. So. I believe the Red Sox just promoted Sue Lin as well. Yeah, that's because uh, what Josh Rutledge has a concussion. Yeah, but but perhaps uh, I mean he is a, he actually uh, made an appearance at third base yesterday. But he's what like, he's like a good defensive shortstop who can't hit. Uh, no. But he can hit this year. Yeah, that's the difference. Okay. Uh, he's his uh, his offensive profile is uh, interesting. He lowered his ground ball rate by over twenty percentage points since last year. That's something. Yeah, and uh, he's recorded an isolated power figure close to two hundred. Huh. Okay. While striking in fewer the striking out fewer than fifteen percent of his plate appearances. That makes him a Sustuli kind of guy. He is, yes. He's been a fixture this year in the French five. Yeah. Yeah. That's him. Hey, do you uh, want to talk about Adam Frazier? What do you want to say about him? Well, I just want to know if you want to talk about Adam Frazier. Because you seem oh. to want to talk about Adam Frazier when he's hitting four hundred. What is he hitting right now? Uh, it's still not bad. Two eighty. I mean it's not terrible. Two eighty five, yeah, sure. Sure, yeah. I'll take two eighty five. Not uh, that's not going to win a It's not gonna win a batting title. He's not gonna win a batting title. I would actually say his batting at his so his bat right now is three twenty. And I really think that that's well I guess not his floor, just give it I bet like in terms of true talent, I think that's his floor. Just because he makes contact? Uh no 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 because he I think he never I th- I don't think he ever hits fly balls or infield fly balls. Yeah, but there's other guys who don't hit infield ball. I mean, you have to hit the ball hard. He doesn't hit the ball hard either. Hey, we'll see. Have we made a bet on this? Yeah, we have. What was he, the bet? That he was going to win the batting title. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to lose that one. I think he might qualify now at least. Uh, Does that seem right? He yeah, got 225, 225 plate appearances. Yeah, he's played pretty regularly. Yeah, and especially, of course, they've had trouble uh, keeping some guys on the team. So there's been – no, I guess he doesn't officially qual- – hey, he doesn't officially qualify yet. You need like two – more like 250 at this point. Well, we'll see. Oh, Gregory Blanco's not having a good season. Hmm. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. No, not a lot of fire Thor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, this portion of Fangraphs Audio was done. Well, actually, the whole thing is done, Dave Cameron. <laughs> You're on the disabled list. How long is your disabled list? Uh, I'm not able to walk for a month, and my rehab is like 6 to 12 months. But uh, I think, like, realistically, like, for what I – I mean, I wrote a post today. I'm doing a podcast. I'm not, like I'm, – I'm playing hurt. Uh, I hope to be ox- off the oxycodone in a couple of days, maybe by tomorrow. That's powerful stuff. Too, that, is too like, powerful. that is like, yeah, I really don't want to take it. So as soon as I'm off the oxy, then hopefully I will write things that are not unintelligible. Mm-hmm. So. What uh, – wait, what if you, like – what if you were? What if you were like a general contractor? Yeah, that would be uh, workman's comp, I guess. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Although I don't know if you get workman's comp for playing basketball. That's also a good question. Yeah. So you'd just be screwed. Yeah, this is one of those times where it's nice to have a work from home job. Yeah, it is. Although uh, you know, like realistically, I could have opted not to have the surgery and just had like bad knee the rest of my life. That's your choice. Yeah. Dave Cameron, thank you for appearing on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Thanks for not making fun of uh, my drugged upness too much. No, I think you did okay. That has been Dave Cameron. He's the managing editor of Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. 